0: years in this building, and uh, it's a privilege, and it's an honor to be the church here, Good News Bible Church, meeting in this building on the 100th anniversary, that we can celebrate it and acknowledge those who've gone before us. People are flying in from, I think, six or eight different states to come celebrate with us. Uh, this is a real deal. People come from California, um, from a, up in Oregon, uh, out east. I mean, people are coming from everywhere uh, to come and worship and celebrate here, uh, that Saturday at Trinity out in Deerfield is going to be a great luncheon. Uh, it's, it'll be worth your fifteen dollars to hear testimony of what God has done. And of course, uh, Sunday morning worship here at nine forty-five. Uh, and tell people if you see someone who's not here today, let them know we've been trying to make it known. We'll continue to do so via email and Facebook. And if you don't have that, uh, get on one of the two, and uh, we can get you in, into the loop with contacting. Um, after service, we're going to have a luncheon, uh, a, a good luncheon. We're going to be teaming up with uh, the people from the Spanish congregation. And uh, it sounds like it's going to be a yummy one. So I'm excited about that. And uh, there'll be tours going on uh, around our facilities. So if you've never been across the street and seen the church offices or seen the building we own down down the street where New Moms currently is, uh, that'll be exciting for you to to see what's going on, what we own, and uh, how God is using it for His glory. And then we'll have an afternoon service at 2 o'clock. And uh, that'll be a testimonial service. Uh, Pastor Wayne's going to be sharing some then. Uh, I'm really excited about it. We've got, I think, five or six former pastors from the English and Spanish coming in for this occasion. So praise the Lord. I'm glad that we are the church that's here right now to be the ones to celebrate God and what he has done and to be able to honor these people who have gone before us. So let's praise him for that, and I look forward to it. Uh, So be sure to come and be a part of that celebration. It's kind of hard to believe. uh, It was in 1995 that the Left Behind series began. 1995, that's like 15 years ago, you know. And it went in from 1995 to 2007. These books sold over 65 million copies. If you remember, in 1972, a movie came out called Thief in the Night. And this was a movie kind of portraying what it would be like in the last days. I think as, as humans, we have an ear. We, we, we love to hear and think about the last days. It, it excites us. There's something about it that, that piques our curiosity and many people throughout history have tried to predict when that day has come. And I guarantee you, they've all been wrong. Seeing that Jesus hasn't come back yet. But the thing that grieves me oftentimes when we think about the last days is, most people are, inf- are infatuated with the idea, mainly trying to figure out when it's going to happen. And they missed the thrust of what the Bible teaches about the last days. I don't know if I can say this Completely, uh, 100%, but I think almost, if not every single time the end times are spoken of in the Bible, they are wrapped in closely with a call to live uprightly. Basically, our end times understanding and our ethics or our walking in holiness are closely intertwined. So when we are where our interests are peaked strictly on the idea that Jesus is coming back and trying to figure out when that will happen, without it really affecting our lives, we've missed the point. And today we're going to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that talks about what that day will be like, the great day of the Lord. I titled my sermon, Thief in the Night, One Anothering to the End. This is our last sermon on the series on, one another, on the one another commands in Scripture. It's been a short five-week series. I personally have really, really benefited from it. I hope you have. It's remarkable to see how many times in Scripture we are commanded to love one another, to pray for one another, to forgive one another, to show hospitality to one another, to admonish one another. There's at least 20 different ones. So we've only touched on five. I've been blessed by and I hope you have. But as I look at this closing one today, We're going to look at what it means to be people who do one anothering all the way to the time when Jesus returns. And that's what Paul is calling the people of the city of Thessalonica to do. Let's open up our Bibles and read from 1 Thessalonians, again, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is what it writes. This is what God's Word says. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And here's the great one another command. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Would you bow with me in prayer as we look into what God's word teaches us about one another? Father in heaven, I lean heavily today, God, on your Holy Spirit. In the book of John, it says that he comes to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and God, and also of judgment. And God, we, we want our hearts to be pierced today. Lord, your Holy Spirit inspired us these scriptures. But He's also called the Illuminator. He reveals to us what it says. He's called the Comforter, which means He comforts those who are weak and weary. And God, as we look at this passage today, we are grateful that Your Holy Spirit indwells all of those who are Yours. So God, as one of Your children, I pray that You would speak to through me in power today that Christ might be glorified and that we as your people might be moved to walk as children of light in Jesus name Amen the book of First Thessalonians is a really nurturing book Paul talks to them and frequently calls them brothers or beloved. He went there to Thessalonica, the modern-day city of Thessaloniki, and planted this church. He left them and went on to plant other churches, and he wanted to return, but he was unable to. If you look at chapter three, chapter 2, verse 18, look, at you, look in your Bibles there. Paul says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered me. So this is a man writing who is a bit grieved that he can't be there in person. But you look at verse chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Paul said, I want to be with you so, so bad that I'm willing to send Timothy, who's my, my friend, my strength, my support here, I'm going to send him to encourage you. And what's interesting is Paul, uh, Timothy came back with a report. And at least twice, it's a remarkable ap- report. He tells them, he tells Paul that these people are walking in a way that the surrounding nations and, and the lands are, are finding out and hearing about it. And Paul tells them, continue walking in this way in chapter 4, verse 1, just as you already are doing. And in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all uh, the brothers throughout Macedonia. So Paul says, you have a reputation of love. So he's just thrilled to hear this report that Timothy gave that these people are walking just as Paul had prayed and hoped that they were walking. But one thing Timothy mentioned concerned Paul. And it was no doubt something that really concerned these believers. They had this question. What happens to Christians When we die. What happens? See, they had this understanding that Jesus was coming back and as we have today. And as we have today, they thought He's coming back in our lifetime and that's a proper understanding. But then they thought, what happens if those who are believers die? And then Christ comes back. What's going to happen to them? And Paul answers that question in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And then Paul goes on to tell them that the dead in Christ will rise when Christ returns. They will rise first. And then we who remain who are alive will meet the Lord in the air. What a beautiful word. And then he tells them in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. But then the natural second question comes. Paul, When is this going to happen? How do we get ready for that day? And that's where our passage is in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. If you want to know when that's going to happen, the days and times, when is Jesus coming back? When is the day of the Lord going to come? Paul says, You guys already know the answer to that question. And Paul really gives them no answer other than this. That day is going to come like a thief in the night. He calls it the day of the Lord. At least 20 times in the Old Testament, that phrase is used five times in the New Testament, where we're told about the day of the Lord. Now, when we think of the day of the Lord, we think it's a day that Christ will come back, His second coming, and that's a glorious day. But that's usually not the picture given. You see, in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 31, says the sun will be turned into darkness on that day and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He calls it a great and terrible day. Malachi, in chapter 4, verse 5, says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So then you're left wondering, why is that a great and terrible day? If it's the day when Jesus arrives. It's not great in the sense, what a great day that's going to be. It's great in the sense of, there's going to be great sorrow and great pain. It's terrible, or some of the Bibles might say awesome, because it's going to be awe-inspiring. It's going to strike fear into people. Because the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. Those who do not, do, who do not know God, who have not placed their faith in Jesus, it is a terrible day. It's a terrible day. It's the day of the Lord, the day of His judgment. And Paul uses two pictures there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to tell us what a day is going to be like. He said it's going to be like a thief in the night. In some ways, Paul has more than just the unexpectedness of a thief, but I think also the unwelcomeness of a thief. And the world is not going to welcome Christ's return because that day means judgment for the world. See, when a thief comes, he doesn't leave a post-it note on your front door saying, I'll be coming around 2.30. There's an unexpectedness about it. And it's a surprise. And Paul says, that's how that day is going to be. You're going to be caught off guard. The world around us will be caught off guard. But then he uses a second picture in verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape when the labor pains begin there's no turning back that baby's coming and just as in the day of the Lord when that day begins there's no turning back God's judgment is coming the world will speak peace and security when in reality spiritually speaking sudden destruction is imminent it's a day of great terror it's a scary day for those who are not in Christ. And Paul points that out to them. He said, This is what that day will be like the great and terrible day of the Lord. But we won't know when it is because times and seasons isn't for us to know. I spent a summer in Wisconsin several years ago uh, doing some construction work, and I was part of a church there. And uh, one Sunday, the pastor decided to give a sermon about, about the, this day of the Lord. He had been reading some book that was predicting when this day might be. So in his sermon, he was talking about when he thought Christ might return. And he said, Our president right now is at the time was George Bush. Our first president of the United States was George Washington. The Bible tells us the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So it begins with George and it's going to end with George. He was wrong. And he missed the mark. Not only is he wrong trying to predict times and seasons, but the sad thing is he missed the opportunity to tell his people, the day the Lord's coming, you don't know when it's going to be. But what you do know is that you need to be ready. That's the point when the Bible tells us about the last days. It's not for us to have our, our ears tickled. It's for us to be ready and prepared. Now, this indeed is a a day of great terror, a day of great surprise, but not for us who are children of God. Look at verse 4. Paul says, But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now, on one hand, you might be thinking, you just said it's going to come like a thief. That's a surprising thing. But now you're telling us we shouldn't be surprised for that day to come to us like a thief. What's Paul telling us? What's Paul saying? He's saying that we who are children of God know Christ is coming. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it will happen. So when he comes, we're not going to say, wow, never saw that coming. But that we would say, I've been waiting for this. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So in that sense, that day should not take us by surprise. Consider a fireman. They sit in their firehouse waiting for that bell to sound. You think they go to work that day saying, we're not going to have any fires. We're not going to have any fires this week. We're not going to be ready for this. And then when the, when the, the, the alarm sounds, oh my goodness, there's a fire. Firemen are not surprised when there are fires. But they are sitting, waiting, Prepared. When the alarm sounds, they're not looking for their axe or their helmet. They're not trying to find the keys to the truck. They can get into their trucks like that and go down to the scene of the fire. They're prepared. They're ready. They're not surprised, but they don't know when it's going to happen. And in the same way, we need to be like that. Prepared, ready, not surprised when Christ comes. But knowing that it's going to happen. It's a remarkable thing to think that this may happen in our lifetime and that is not a wishful thought and true every generation before has thought that and that's right that's what we're told to be thinking because that hope purifies us and prepares us for our eternal destiny with Christ Jesus in heaven so we must be ready we must be moved and we must not be surprised as if we didn't know that day would come When all is said and done, we need to have an unwavering hope in God and not in man. Because man will say, peace and security. Live it up. This is the here and now. Carp diem, seize the day. And that's not how we are to live. We're not to try to nail down dates. Pursue peace and comfort as if this was all it was. We're not supposed to live in the if, but in the when. And that's what Paul is telling these believers in Thessalonica. And then he expounds on this. Why should we not be surprised? He says, because you are children of light. That's your identity. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness, so then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. You see those parallels that he's drawing? Like a a skilled painter, he's he's painting two columns. Those who are children of the light versus those who are children of the darkness. Those who are of the day versus those who are of the night. Those who are awake and alert versus those who are asleep. Those who are sober versus those who are drunk. No middle line. No middle ground. Paul says either you're in or you're out. Either you're a child of light or you're a child of darkness. That's your identity. Which one are you? See, to these in Thessalonica, he knew and he believed in his heart that they were indeed children of the light. And he's trying to encourage them. But before we start going there too quickly, we need to ask ourselves, am I a child of the light? Or will that day catch me by surprise? Do I walk in darkness and claim darkness? to be in light I think of John 8-12 when Jesus says he says I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life (coughs) I am the light of the world if you're going to follow me don't walk in darkness Paul says you are children of the light Don't walk in darkness. 1 John 1, verses 5 and 7 say this. This is a message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Hear that, how straightforward that is. If we say we have fellowship with God, if we are friends of God, if we are Children of God, if we are followers of Christ, if we are Christians, while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the parallel that Paul is drawing our attention to. That there are two sides, there are two types of people. Those in Christ and those not in Christ. And he's saying, you walk according to your identity. And if you are a child of light, walk that way. He says, don't be asleep like the rest or the others. He has a mind like the others who don't know Christ. To be asleep, the ISV study Bible says this, is to be morally and spiritually disengaged and or living without a consciousness of the coming day. To be morally and spiritually disengaged. We have to Look internally and say, am I numb to sin? Am I numb to the things of God? Am I living consciously that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night? Because those who sleep, sleep in that manner. But those who are awake are children of the light. I don't want to look too much into what Paul is saying here, using this illustration of night in day but I don't want to look too little bit into it because you see in verse 8 Paul says I'm sorry verse 7 for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night he's stressing something here and he's using an image I think from the real world to convey a spiritual truth you consider our world that we live in why is it true that burglaries happen more often at night or more by surprise Crime spikes at night, does it not? Why is it that immorality is easier at night? Fornication is easier at night. Why is it easier to be a sluggard at night? As I said, I don't want to look too much into that, but I think Paul is playing on something that is real in the world we live in. And in a real sense, under the guise of darkness... Secrecy is concealed. Temptation abounds and accountability dwindles. Temptations abound at night. Accountability dwindles at night. So it's a very true and real thing in the lives we live, knowing that at night these things are true. The night is not inherently evil. I'm not saying that. But these things are true. So we apply that to the spiritual principles Paul said, that's not who we are. Children of the night, children of the darkness, but we are children of the light, children of the day. One of my greatest fears as I was looking at this passage is that we would not be introspective enough about how and where our heart is. How alert are we? How awake are we how sober are we? What controls us? Who controls us? We don't want to be found asleep on that great and terrible day of the Lord. <clears throat> starting to sound like Kermit. When I was a student in college, <clears throat> I was studying this passage, and um, I, was, I was becoming familiar with the passage, and one day I was doing homework. I think I've told this story before, but it's, it's good to say again. And while doing homework, I fell asleep. The only thing is, I didn't think I was sleeping. I really thought I was awake. So I'm there in my room. I'm dreaming that I'm asleep. And I hear trumpet sounds. And I realize, Christ is coming. The only problem is, I'm asleep. And it was great terror came over me. Christ is here and he's going to find me asleep. So I'm trying to wake myself up. And sure, I wake up and realize it's a dream, of course. But it struck fear into me. It struck terror. And then he think, do I have that mindset that I don't want to be found asleep, lazy, walking in darkness and claiming to be a child of light? Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love tells a story about his wife's grandmother. And he says she's the godliest woman she, that he ever met. Uh, she would wake up every morning, sit on a corner of her bed, and spend time with Jesus. And throughout the day, as she went about her day, she'd walk past her bed and just kind of put her hand there, and she'd remember how sweet it was that morning when she talked with Christ, and she'd just smile. And he said, That's kind of just the type of woman she was. He said, One day they went to a, a play together, he with his wife and her grandmother. And during intermission, he says, Grandma, what what do you think of the play? She said, Oh, Francis, I just don't want to be here. He's like, yeah, me neither. She said, no, no, it's not that. She said, I just, I don't want to be sitting here watching a play when my Lord comes back. And then he said, Does she know something I don't know about? But he started thinking about that. I mean, do we really think that way? When we go about our days, do we want Christ to find us where we're at at that particular moment. What are we doing? How conscious are we of Him? How alert? How ready are we? Well, Paul continues here in verse 8. He says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Don't get drunk. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. A lot of us, our minds are taking quickly to Ephesians 6, the armor of God. But many of us may not know that. Even there, Paul's quoting something in Isaiah chapter 59. Would you turn your Bibles there? I want to park there for just a moment. Because I think this is an important thing that Paul is bringing to our attention. Isaiah 59. The context of this passage is That God is seeing the injustice in the world. And he's very discouraged by it. And Isaiah chapter 59, verse 11, he says, We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. These are people crying out for justice. And God sees their cries, but there is none. Verse 14 in chapter 59. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And then it says, The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God puts on his own armor to execute judgment on the injustice that he saw taking place. The result of it, verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, which happens in the east. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives, and the Redeemer will come to Zion, and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. See, when Paul is drawing our attention to the fact of a breastplate of faith and love, and a helmet of salvation, he's trying to draw to our attention this idea that God will come with judgment. But in, a, in First Thessalonians, it's not God who's putting on the armor, it's us. So as to say, we who are children of God will come alongside of the Lord on that great day of the Lord. We will not be those who receive the judgment, but those who are alongside of He who judges and executes justice. Paul's telling us, this is our identity. Put these clothes on. Be prepared, just as your Lord will be clothed on that great day. And then he appeals to why we have this hope in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. It is God who has set us apart, purchased us by the blood of His Son to be children of light, wearers of helmets, and of a breastplate on that great day. We have not been destined for wrath. You might ask, well, why would anybody be destined for wrath? Recently I was asked the question, why should I fear God? It was a sincere question, it wasn't someone trying to be stubborn. Why should I fear God? And I pointed them to this reality that we are people who have offended God. We've offended Him. He is holy, we are not. And we are deserving of judgment. His wrath is directed towards sin. That's throughout the Bible. You can't get around that. And it says it here. But Jesus satisfied that wrath. That way we could be people who are at peace with God. So I told this person, we fear God because that's what we deserve. We deserve wrath. But if we place our trust in Jesus, that has been satisfied and we are at peace. And Paul says, we have not been destined to wrath, but to obtain salvation. People talk of their destiny. It was my destiny. As chance would have it. That was my fate. Those are unbiblical concepts because it is God. Who destines? It is He who transferred those who are His to be from enemies at enmity with Him to children who are at peace with God. So why do we want to live alert, like children of light, sober? Because that's what we were purchased to be. Therefore, we don't want that day of the Lord to keep us by to catch us by surprise. Because we are children of God. And He is where our hope is set. And then Paul wraps it up with his great, as I mentioned earlier, one another command. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. As I mentioned, the day of the Lord is a day that is terrible and it's great. How does that bring encouragement to somebody? Well, to those who are in the body of Christ, it's because we are on the Lord's side. So encourage one another with those words. When your days here feel long, when pain mounts up, when depression really has a, a blanket over you, when there's fear that grips you in life, when there's uncertainty about tomorrow, how will you pay your mortgage? How will you pay your bills? What do you do about your child who's wayward? What do you do about your own struggles? Paul reminds us. Hope in God. You're with the Lord. Let Him guide you as a child of light. Be alert. Focus on Him. He has destined you not for wrath, but to obtain salvation. Let that be your identity and not the fears that grip you. So encourage one another with these words. Good news, encourage one another. Let's not grow tired in doing that. Let's build one another up when our faith is weak. And we have weak faith. It happens. There are times when we're distraught and we need a brother or a sister to come alongside of us and tell us, you're a child of light. You're not an object of wrath. You're a child of God. His mercy is directed towards you. You don't have to walk bound. Hope in God. He's on your side. You're on His side. He's with you. So we build one another up and encourage one another. My prayer is that we be found one anothering all the way to the end. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, I've been so blessed by thinking about these one another commands I've had opportunities over the last three four weeks to sit down with different brothers and sisters and do some great one anothering that's been a great joy to me and I pray that we would all take advantage of that just ask each other where are you at what's going on in your life and to be honest transparent and I got my us to live as we taught last week in harmony with one another being reconciled with one another Good News Bible Church will you be one who won another to the end whenever that day comes what role do you as an individual think about you as an individual what role do you have in part, being part of this family here and being part of the grander family the body of Christ and I know that today some might be thinking you know, this Day of the Lord thing This isn't comforting me. I find no peace in what you say. And likely that's because you're an object of wrath right now. That your sin, which is offensive to God, has not been satisfied on your behalf because you haven't trusted in Christ. You don't know what it means to have peace in God. You've only felt like God was against you perhaps today you even have a fear right now that Christ came back that day happened it's sudden judgment it's labor pains that won't escape no turning back if you have that fear today you don't have to walk in that fear there's hope offered to you in Christ and I fear that others today don't have that fear who ought to who will say we're children of light but walk in darkness Jesus shed his blood to purchase his church, his bride. He did not shed his blood to purchase a bride that would walk in harlotry, but one that would be devoted to him. No doubt one that stumbles, yes, but one that would walk on in forgiveness and in hope. If God's moving your heart today, respond to that. Respond to that. I do want to ask right now, prayer counselors, if you would come forward, whoever's a prayer counselor for today, should come forward? These are grim realities sometimes that we need to wrestle with. And to be honest, it was not my intent to even talk about this today. And I've been just trying to, just wrestling with this message, to be honest. But there's a reality we can't escape, and that's the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. And God has a family of those who walk in Him. if you want to be a part of that, if you want to know what it means to be forgiven, to know what it means to be a child of God, would you come forward and pray with someone today? Pray with someone. Pray with someone who's next to you. Feel free to do that right now. I'm going to ask the band to come forward too right now, please. Pray with someone. Perhaps your burden isn't that. Maybe it's... It's, an, it's another type of burden that this passage brought out. Would you respond to that? And let God move in your life and not resist His leading. And dear people of good news, we have a life to live in this here on earth. We don't know how long it'll be. But maybe we live it for Him, sold out for Christ, sold out for Him who died for us. And may our lives just be a, an outflowing outflowing gratitude to him would you rise stand up and let's pray together